Lord, 
Your presence, 
Tell him you love him. I love your presence. Cause we love, we love. Cause we love your presence. Cause we love, we you know we have a safety team if you go to Rodney Howard Brown's church you'll see signs in front of the doors that says beware we are heavily armed and uh, we we take it serious something I forget the way it is but it's pretty intimidating to somebody that would walk in their door well anyway we have a safety team so he's going to come share his testimony and then we're going to do a little quick training who does stuff like that the church in the in 2020 does stuff like that and, um, and it is happening in many places. So anyway, welcome Jay. He's our safety man. How many of y'all have ever seen the movie Forrest Gump? It's like one of my favorite movies. The first time I saw that movie, I was like, uh, God, why did you write a movie about me? <laughs> as I share my testimony, as I share my testimony, you're going to understand more. But um, I was raised in a state that has a pretty dark past, but I was raised by a godly man, and my mother's godly, and they didn't allow any of that darkness to creep into my life, and I thank God for that. I joined the military. I shared with the staff before. God gave me some promises when I was a young man that helped me when I was doing that. But I joined the military at a young age. And uh, that in itself was a miracle because I was born with a birth defect in my right leg. I was never supposed to be able to run. I was never supposed to be able to stand for a very long time. My parents never told me. I just, if you ever see me with a pair of shorts on, you look at my right leg, you're going to be like, oh, there's something wrong with that. And there is. But they never told me. And so I grew up, for a little, I started running. I ran like a madman. I played basketball. You have to run a lot to play basketball. 
I went to college. I played basketball in college. I went into the Army. I ran, and I ran, and I ran, and I ran. I would run 10 miles sometimes just for the heck of it. I had no idea I wasn't supposed to be able to do that. I just knew it really hurt bad sometimes when I did. But, you know, they always taught us push through your pain, push through your pain. So well, that's what I did. I pushed through my pain. I have a learning disability. I'm dyslexic. When I grew up, nobody even really knew what that was. And so when I was going through school, I remember them telling my mama, Miss Hill, we don't know what's wrong with this boy, but he can't read very good. Turned out that was a huge blessing for me because God gave me a memory to be able to remember all kinds of things. That helped when I came to start studying the Bible. I, I read real slow, but guess what? I remembered it. I still remember it. When I talk to people, that's what comes out of my mouth. If you've, any of y'all that have ever talked to me very much, you know that eventually the Bible starts coming out of my mouth because I've remembered it. He gave me that. I met the love of my life at an older age, just like Forrest Gump met the love of his life at an older age, and we get along just like peas and carrots, just like they did. <laughs> we go together perfectly. I did my time in the military, and I came home, and the Lord started putting something on my heart in 2009. There's something you haven't done yet. There's something you haven't done yet. I'm like, oh, that's really bizarre. You need to go to Afghanistan. I was already retired. I didn't have to go. God kept putting this on my heart. You need, there's something you haven't done. You need to go back. In the world, I thought, well, I'm going to go back and help people learn to do what I did in the military because not very many people know how to do it, and so I can show people how to do it, and I can save lives. Well, that's what I kept telling myself. But that's not what God had in mind. He moves in mysterious ways. Your job is your mission field. I know a lot of people have said that, but it really is. So I go over there. I have no idea what I'm supposed to be doing over there. I meet the chaplain over there. He's like, I'm like, can I help you? He's like, sure, get a letter from your pastor back home and have it sent to me. So I did that, and I started helping him. Well, we needed to build a chapel, a Christian church in Afghanistan, because there wasn't one on our base, so we built a church. I started helping him. I needed an interpreter, so I had to go hire my own interpreter. I had a bunch of Afghanis come in, and I interviewed them, and there was this one man that stood out above all of them. He was actually a medical doctor, but he could make more money working for me, being my interpreter, than he could as a doctor in Afghanistan, so he started working for me. We got to know each other very well, very well, and when we had downtime, we'd sit together and we'd talk. And one day he said to me, Mr. J, because that's what he called me, Mr. J, what is the difference between Islam and the people of the book? The book is the Bible. And I said, well, there's a lot. And so over about, I don't know, about a six-month period, every time we had a chance, me and this Muslim man would sit down together in the heat, in the sun, in the snow, in the rain, wherever, and we'd start talking about the differences between Islam in Christianity, I told him, we started in Genesis, we worked all our way through the book of Revelation. I told him who Jesus Christ was. I told him everything. I told him about the work that Jesus did on the cross. I gave it all to him. I didn't think a whole lot about it. But what I want to tell you is, when you're in God's will, 
and you're doing what God wants you to do, no matter where it's at, no matter how dangerous it may be, no matter how crazy it may be, he provides for you. He provides protection for you. That's a promise. And I'm going to give you three proofs of that. When I got over there, training them, the first day I went out and trained the men that I was training to do what I did, they were like, let's go out here in this training area. It's a safe, secure area in Kabul, Afghanistan. And I said, okay. I was just going to observe them. We started going down the trail out into the training area, and the first vehicle in the convoy hit an IED, and it killed a bunch of people. I was right behind them. God saved me that day. It didn't have to be that way. But he had his hand on me because there was something I was supposed to be doing that I hadn't done yet. When I got to where I was supposed to be going finally, and I met some of the soldiers that I was with, one of them came up to me one day and said, I used to be a commander in the Taliban in this area, and I'm going to protect you. When we go into different places, I'm going to give you your own personal bodyguard, and I'm going to tell all the Taliban commanders around here that they're not to touch you. That was an Afghani. That was an Is a Muslim man that was doing that for me after they already knew who I was. They knew what was in my heart, and they still protected me. You know why? Because I had something to do that I hadn't done yet. On my way home, I got into a vehicle one morning in Kabul, Afghanistan. I surrendered my weapon. I got into a car with a total stranger, an Afghani. I didn't know who he was to go to the airport on my way home. I have to tell you, that takes a lot of faith and trust in God to jump in a vehicle with a guy in a place where everybody wants to kill you, and you don't know who he is, and you're going to drive across town in a dangerous place with him. But I said, okay, God, I'll do it. I surrendered my weapon. I got in the car. We started driving through Kabul, Afghanistan, and he kept looking at me, and he said, you look like me. I'm like, yeah, okay. No, you look like me. I'm like, no, I don't. He's like, you're one of us. You have to be one of us. I'm like, whatever. I'm six foot three. I got blue eyes. I don't look like an Afghani. I promise you I don't look like one of them. We got to a checkpoint in front of the UN compound, 28 October 2009. You can look it up and see. I showed my passport to the Afghan National Police that was there. They looked at me, they looked at me, they looked at my, they looked at me. He gave me my passport back, said, go on. I got to the Kabul International Airport 15 minutes after I drove through there. Those very same policemen that were sitting there that day were Taliban. They attacked the UN compound that day, killed a bunch of people. One of them set off a suicide vest, killed a bunch of people after they had just sat there and looked at my passport, knew I was an American, and I was like, God, what happened here? You know, it had been a big, big news for them to take me, drag me off somewhere and keep me, but they let me go right through there. And God told me, you remember when your driver kept telling you, you look like me, you look like me, you're one of us, you have to be one of us? Nobody can tell me any different, but I believe that God protected me that day. He blinded their eyes to who I was. He protected me and brought me home because I needed to be home with my wife and my children. He protected me because I was doing what he asked me to do. 
He will provide for you spiritually. He will give you the words to say. He gave me the words to say when I was sitting there talking to that Islamic man, the Muslim, Dr. Nabi Mubarak is his name. We're still friends to this day. He gave me the words to speak. He provides the words for you to say. You don't have to worry about it. All that Bible that I had been reading, memorizing, it just started coming out of me when I was talking to him. He will give you the words to say. He will provide for you physically. He will set a table before you in the presence of your enemies. I saw that happen with my own eyes. My enemies would come and they would put food in front of me and say, here, we want you to eat with us. Sit down and be our honored guest. We want you to eat with us. He does it all. I'm totally convinced that when Jesus said the gates of hell will not prevail against the church, that that's what he meant when he said that. And when I was doing what he wanted me to do, he provided everything for me. If you're doing what you're supposed to be doing, he will provide everything for you. I got home and I was like, okay, God, that was kind of weird. I still don't feel like I did what you wanted me to do. After I'd been home about two months, I got an email message from my friend, Dr. Nabi Mabaris. He said, Mr. J, we are now truly brothers. I knew instantaneously what he was talking about. The Holy Spirit told me one day you're going to see that man in glory because you took the time to sit there and you talked to him. He said, we are brothers. I said, thank you, God. I know what I was supposed to do. The one lost sheep. To go get the one lost sheep. If you're obedient, you know not all of us can be Reinhard Bonnke. Not all of us are going to be Billy Graham. Some of us are going to go after that one lost sheep in some crazy place that nobody ever dreamed of. God is good. All you have to do is listen and obey, and he will protect you. He will provide everything you need spiritually, physically, everything. You know, when David Hogan was here and he had that card, you all remember that? And he said, this is my most prized possession. He got that card from that little girl that had been healed, and he carries it everywhere with him. And he said, everybody needs a card. And when I went through one night to get prayed, I looked at him and I said, I got my card. I do. Every Christmas I get one from Afghanistan. It says, Merry Christmas, Mr. J., I thank God for you and your most honorable family. I have my card. We all need our card. Just like David Hogan said, we, all, we can all have our card. All you have to do is do what God said. That's my encouragement to you today is some of us, we have some of those lost sheep still in our family. If God was willing enough to get me up out of my happy life in Colorado, and go all the way to Afghanistan and think I'm hiring my interpreter just so I can meet this one man, just so we can sit there and talk for hours, just so he can start to understand who Jesus is and he can accept that. He can do that for the lost sheep that are in our family as well, and he will. That's my encouragement to you guys today. And that's my little testimony. But uh, 1 Peter chapter 4, and just, I, I hope you brought, how many of you brought your real Bibles this morning, or at least you have one online, okay, because you're going to have to follow through. I'm just going to read the scripture. 
let your fingers do the walking and uh, your talking. But anyway, I want to just get into Scripture, impart something, release something. And um, it's going to be really good, I promise you. But look in verse 7 of chapter 4, 1 Peter. We want to be those in this hour that have not come with our opinion. Opinions matter about this much. You know, I, I appreciate your opinion if it agrees with what God said. But other than that, it's really not worth that much. It's not about our commentary. It's not about our insight. It's not about our wants, our desires, our wishes, our presumptions. It's about thus saith the Lord. Now look in verse 7. But the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be serious. You know what the world, word serious means? means be serious, but it also means some other things about that. You just uh, make sure that you're passionate. And uh, here, in fact, let me look in the Passion Bible. I actually looked up that scripture. I think it gives a better definition. It says, since we are approaching the, the end of all things, be intentional, be purposeful, and self-control. Self-control so that you can be given to prayer. I remember when we were flying over the World Series was happening in Detroit. And Rick Joyner and I, we were going to a conference in Michigan. I think I've shared this before, but we flew right over the World Series. And I saw the lights. And I was just thinking about how that uh, when my son was on the mound as a pitcher in college, how I wouldn't, if I could possibly be there, I would not miss. But I was much more nervous than he was. I can promise you that. Much more nervous. And I was just thinking, you know, Lord, this is a different time now. At the end of the age, it's not my son that's going to be on the mound. It's your son that's going to be on the mound. And we don't have to be that nervous because he knows exactly. He has exactly what's needed to win and to take this serious. And, that, and I was taught sharing that with Rick. And Rick said, yeah. And flying over the World Series, it also speaks of the World Serious. Because that's where we are from here on out. And that's what he says but the end of all things is at hand, therefore be serious and watchful in your prayers. And above all things, have fervent love for one another. For love, now you follow closely, exposes a multitude of sins, is that what it says? Excuses, never forgets, reminds you often. No, it says love covers a multitude. It means to hide, to conceal to throw a veil of oblivion over it. That's what it means in the Greek. Now, there obviously has to be repentance. But, but our part is to hide, to cover, to throw a veil of oblivion. Be hospitable to one another without grumbling. You know at the end of the age, you're going to have a whole lot of things to grumble about. You can either give in to the grumbling or you can trust God, one or the other. If you're grumbling, how much trust is that? It's not revealing much trust. You're grumbling. Get over your grumbles. As each one, in verse 10, has received a gift, minister it to one another. Oh, and that was great this morning. All of the gifts, everything that's inside of us, praying over David as he goes back to Virginia. What a word. We're to minister one to another. Hey, David, that's going to be powerful tomorrow. You know, you're carrying a major anointing on you. It's going to spill out where you are. And it's going to be good. It goes on as each one, we read that, as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. 
If anyone speaks, or in other words, if anyone thinks he has something to say, you know anybody today that think they have something to say? You turn on the television, you should, I wouldn't advise that a whole lot. But these guys think they have something to say. But here's what he says to us. If anyone speaks, let him speak as of the oracles of God. Speak the word of God. What a testimony you have. The word of God. If anyone ministers, let him do so as with the ability which God supplies. So that God may be glorified through his son, through Jesus Christ. So that's a pretty good instruction for living in 2020 in the United States of America. How many of you would think that? And we want to be those that are speaking, thus saith the Lord. I told you, when I was in seminary, this thought came to me. And I just said, when is God going to raise up? I heard everything they had to say, but I was thinking, when is God going to raise up those who are going to rise up in the land and say, thus saith the Lord? I knew what the professors had to say. I wanted to hear, thus saith God. And that's where we are in this hour. We got to hear. That's the standard. It's not our opinions that matter. Now, I know that sounds a little old school. That's the school we should be in. We want to hear what God has to say. We, we want to be prophetic, not pathetic. I remember, was it Paul Cain? And I, I know that you've heard this before. He said that God is not saying all that we say he is saying but he sure is saying a whole lot more than we really want to hear. And we want to be those that are saying what he's saying, whether anyone wants to hear it or not. So, Lord, we thank you for this morning. Thank you. It's been an unusual morning. Lord, we just want to gather in your presence. And we thank you now, Lord. We've done these other things. Now we just ask you to give us ears to hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. Lord, we're not here to be you know, entertained, or Lord, tell us something really great. We just want to know what your word has to say. We want to follow the lamb wherever he's going. And so we thank you, Lord, that you're speaking clearly and loudly in this day. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, I know that every, and I've always believed this, every message should build on one another. It's not an individual showing you know, it's, you're building, you're going somewhere. We're on a journey together as a congregation. I'm the only one that's been here every time, every Sunday. I, you know, I'm the only one, so I'm on this incredible journey through the Word. But you have to go back and you have to build on the places where you've been, though you may have read them before. It doesn't matter. I, I want to just begin back in Psalm 2 again and just remind us of something because this is a real foundational scripture for the hour and then take off into some things that we haven't spoken of but this is another strategy for living at the end of the age you guys watching online if you just somehow tuned in you need to read Psalm 2 very closely it is a word for the church and it begins by that question why do the nations rage and the people plot vain things Now, we know, we've discussed it here, but you know there's a lot of plotting going on. There's a lot of plotting. There's plotting going on for tomorrow's event in Virginia. I know that. There are plottings against our life. How many of you know the enemy has a plot? But the devil came to unroot, uproot the plot and give us a hope that endures. 
and that overcomes. Well, why do the nations rage if people plot vain things? The rulers are in a rampage. They're taking counsel together. They're meeting in their secret meetings in the dark chambers at, below the congressional home. I don't know, but against the Lord and against his anointed. So it's the Lord and his anointed. Now, we know that's a messianic scripture, but how many of you are of the anointed of the Lord? So he's speaking against us. And the key is in verse 3, let us break their bonds in pieces and cast their cords away. In other words, they want to do us in. Verse 4, we know the scripture, he that sits in the heavens does what? He's laughing. And we've said this, why is God laughing? Because he knows something we don't know. And he knows the end of the story. But you can't stop there. This is what always irks me sometimes. People stop. That's it. It's not the end of the story. What if he stopped laughing? In fact, he does. He doesn't laugh anymore. In fact, that's the title. If I had to give this a title, it's when God stops laughing. Because I wanted to go back and build on that, and this is the foundation. But it says, he that sits in the heavens shall laugh. Then it goes on. The Lord shall hold them in derision. Then he shall speak to them in his, what? His wrath. He will speak to them, those who were plotting and planning, and distress them in his deep displeasure. Now, you can read the rest of it later. We won't go back because we've looked at this here before a number of times, but it just tells us how to live. Number one, I will set my king on his holy hill. In other words, seek the kingdom of God first. Make, him, make sure Jesus is your king. If he's not your king, it's going to become pretty well known in the coming days. You're only going to have one king. You're only going to serve one master. And that's the way it is in this hour. The, the gray area is being removed. Live holy. And in verse 7, that's what we're trying to do. Declare the decree the Lord has said to me. We want to be those that are declaring the decrees of the Lord. Not the decrees of so-and-so. They may be the greatest advice. It, I don't care. Thus saith the Lord is what we're seeking. And we heard some of that this morning in our prayer time. And that's so encouraging because I believe that's where the Lord has the people of God. And the Lord has said to me, you're my son. Today I've begotten you. But then we know it's about the harvest. Ask of me and I will give you the nations. That's where that scripture is. Isn't that amazing? Whoever wrote this book is an amazing author. In the midst of all of this stuff, go after the lost. Go after the one. Ask of me and I'll give you the nations. Then he goes on telling you how to live, and the, the end of it is, is trust in me. Now, when God speaks to them in verse 5, he speaks to them in his wrath. You know, there are a lot of people today that believe that God no longer speaks in that kind of a tone. You ever heard anything like that? That God's not really into wrath anymore? He's gone beyond that. Even though the Bible says whatever was written beforehand was written for our example on whom the ends of the ages have come. Even though the Bible says God changes not. There are many religionists today that tell us God has changed. He no longer gets angry. Even though it says God is angry with the wicked every day. You don't have to worry about that verse anymore. You could erase that from the Bible. Does it matter? No, it does matter. I'm going to show you. It's not just an Old Testament thing. It is a New Testament thing. So look real quickly over to Romans chapter 1. We're going somewhere. 
And it's going to end up good, okay? I promise. Well, I'll try to promise. You know, the promise is a man, too. You can't put your hope in what man promises. It's the promises of God that are yes and amen. Men will let you down. Even the greatest of men and women. Verse 16, Romans 1, For I am not ashamed, say I'm not ashamed, of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes. Well, it's the power of God unto salvation for everyone who believes. But what is the gospel for everyone who does not believe? You ever thought about that? When I read the Bible now, it's, I'm just going to be honest. It's hard to settle in on what I'm supposed to preach. Because the next day's reading sounds just as good as what I read before. And what I've already planned. It's really hard to focus in. The word is coming alive. How many of you, it's, that's the way it is for you. It's coming alive in this hour. Like we've never known before. That's because the Lord says he's looking for those who have ears to hear what the Spirit is saying. Not just said, but saying the Word of God is living, active, sharper than any two-edged sword. But anyway, it is the power of God and the salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed. And we know what the righteousness of God is. It's not our own self-righteous deeds or acts. It's what he accomplished at the cross through the blood and the resurrection that God has revealed from faith to faith, the just shall live by faith. Okay, so that scripture speaks to us of those who believe. We're not to be ashamed, and we know that our righteousness comes from him. But what about those who do not believe? Well, verse 18, for the wrath of God, this New Testament or Old Testament? New For the wrath of God has not been done away with. In other words, is revealed from heaven. And you're going to see the wrath of God revealed from heaven in this hour. Can I just tell you, and some of us have been taught we're going to escape. Well, you need to be trained. We need to be trained in case we don't escape. I'm not, I'm just saying for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who want to hold down the truth. They don't want to hear the truth. They'll snuff it out. You start speaking truth, you will be hated, just as we heard this morning. Get ready. You might be placed in front of a firing squad. I'll never forget that story you similar to what you shared where Arthur Blessed was placed at a, in a firing squad. And... Um, Somehow, something happened, and they all dropped their, their weapons, and he escaped. And the testimony was, he was wondering, how did this happen? And they told him there were people behind watching. He said, did you see the guys behind the firing squad, the weapons that they were carrying? Well, the firing squad knew all about it, and they dropped their weapons. Now, I'd, you know, I wasn't there. I don't know. I'm just telling you the weapons of heaven are far greater than the weapons of the earth. They're far greater. Well, let's go on, and the wrath of God is revealed, because what may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are made known. Basically what he's saying, I'm going to skip through some of it, is that men do not have an excuse. He's made himself known. Verse 22, here's where we live in the year 2020 in America. Professing to be wise, 
they profess to be wise, they become fools. And they change the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man and birds and four-footed creatures. Therefore God also, this is one of the scariest verses in the Bible to me, gave them up. God gave them up. He said, okay, you trust in your own wisdom. Have at it. That's what it says. He gave them up to uncleanness and the lust of their heart to dishonor their bodies among themselves. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie. They didn't want to hear the truth, so they, God gave them over to believe the lie. How many of you know that is what's happening? And they worshiped and they served the creature rather than the creator. They're worshiping creation rather than the creator. How many of you know that's happening? Worshiping man and the creation. For this reason, God gave them up to vile passions, and then he gives some examples. And we do not want to shy away from this scripture because we've got to shout it louder than we ever have. You tell the truth in love. You know, if you really love someone, you'll tell the truth. That's what telling the truth in love is. Now, it does have something to say, maybe, with the tone of your voice. But if you don't tell people the truth, you don't love them. So he goes on, he says, you know, God gave them up. Men, for even their women, exchanged the natural use for what is against nature. Likewise, also men, leaving the natural use of the woman, they burned in their lusts one for another, men with men, women with women, you know, and doing all those things which are not fitting. And God gave them over to a debased mind, the Scripture says, being filled with all wickedness, sexual immorality, covetousness, maliciousness, envy, murder, strife, deceit, evil-mindedness, whisperers. They whisper behind the chambers. You know, one day, everything, every senator or congressman whispered behind the curtains is going to be exposed for everyone to hear what they had to say. It's all going to be brought to the, it's all going to be exposed. Unloving, unforgiving, unmerciful, who knowing the righteous judgment of God that those who practice such things are deserving of death, not only do the same, but also approve those things who practice them. The word approve, we've looked at before. You could just put the word vote. Vote. You vote for those who support what God just said was a debased mind? You've just become, you've lined yourself up on the side of anti-God rather than pro-God. Can I just be honest with you? The word approve means to agree in principle. I've heard people say, well, I don't really agree with abortion. Or I don't really agree. But, you know, I'm, I'm voting this way because in principle, no, you agree with abortion. Don't tell me you don't agree with abortion. You vote for someone who stands for homosexuality. You believe in homosexuality. Be honest before God. Because he knows your heart. Just look him in the face. Say, God, I believe this way. I'm going to vote for these. What, regardless of what you say, I choose this way. Just tell him, be honest. America needs to be honest. Everyone walking behind that voting booth, you need to put, we need to put a sign. Be honest, because God knows your heart. You, now, people will say, well, he knows my heart. I'm going to pull the plug, but he knows my heart. No, he, he knows your heart by the way you approve and what you disapprove. It also means to put your stamp of approval upon it. Well, that's the judgments of God. Some of you are saying, 
Why do we have to talk about this? Can we talk about the love of God, the peace, the tranquility? Well, there is all of that. There's also the judgments of God. There's the goodness of God and what? The severity. I promise you, most of the preaching in the last, what, 50, 75, 100, 200, 300, I don't know, I mean a bunch of years, has been focusing way more on the goodness of God than the severity of God. So it's about time we balance this thing out. We're not going to forget the love of God, thank God. But he's not as wimpy as what much of the church has made him out to be. He's not a wimp at all. You read the book of Revelation, he comes with eyes burning like fire. His word. Anyway, there's a whole lot of things that we could go on to say, but I don't want to say it all, but I want to say just enough to say what he's saying. I hope and pray. Now go to Isaiah chapter 8. Say Isaiah. Dylan might say Isaiah. No, how do you say Isaiah? Oh, you say it the right way. He's been around here long enough. His South African accent is, we've changed him. It's like Shirley when she's being from Pennsylvania when she married a guy from Louisiana. I taught her Louisiana speak for the first, you know, year of our life. And, um, and then I really confused her. We moved back to West Virginia, close to where she was from, and said she had to learn West Virginia. And that's really different. And then we went to North Carolina and, Mississippi and Alabama. I almost got her speaking like a Bam Alabamian. Almost. But you know, we don't want to speak any of those languages. We want to speak heaven. We want to be citizens. I'm not a, listen, I'm not a citizen of North Carolina. Now we are because of my body and all, but I'm a citizen of the kingdom of God. And that's where you have to hang on here. America might be shaken a little bit in the coming days. How do you know that? Are you prophesying doom? No, I'm just prophesying what God said. I will shake everything that can be shaken. Thus saith God. I'm sorry if that offends anybody watching. You say, well, that's the devil's duty. No, it's God's portion. He's about to shake everything that can be shaken. So the only thing left is that which could not be shaken. You know what that is? It's called the kingdom of God. The kingdom. We are receiving, say I'm receiving, a kingdom which cannot be shaken. We could just go home there, but let's go to Isaiah. Now the context is a people that have rejected God. They said, I don't want anything to do with him. I don't, don't speak to me about that gospel of Jesus Christ. Of course, they didn't that in Isaiah, but it's referring to that which is coming today. I don't want to hear. In fact, you can look in verse 5. So here's how the Lord responds, okay? You don't want to hear what I have to say. The Lord has spoke to me again, he said, inasmuch as these people refused. They refused the waters of Shiloh that flow softly. Now, the word Shiloh means scent, God says, I sent you waters that, now this is that peace by and by. This is, you know, I'm sending you the best that you could ever imagine. But you didn't want anything to do with it. And rejoice in resin and in Remelia's son. That means God, Yahweh has adorned. 
So God says, okay, I've sent you the calm waters. You could have the, the easy road, but you wouldn't, you wouldn't listen. You refuse. Now, therefore, behold, the Lord brings up over them the waters of the river. Say the river. Now, this is not the flowing soft stream that was spoken of earlier. He said, you don't want the, fault, the, the soft flowing stream. I'm going to send you an overwhelming River, the strong and mighty. That's really the river Euphrates, but he speaks of the strong and the mighty, the overflowing river. And here's how that river is represented, the king of Assyria and all of his glory. So let me just wrap that up real quickly and we'll get back. What is God saying? You could have had peace, but you refused my word. You refused. So guess what you're going to get? You refuse the goodness of God, what do you get? The severity of God. Is that not the case? There are those who believe, and salvation is given. But to what about those who don't believe? Okay, that's what we're reading. Now, the next part is something you have to understand. Verse 8, he will pass through Judah and overflow and pass over. He will reach up to the neck, and the stretching out of his wings will fill the breath of your land, O Emmanuel. I'm going to come back and look at what that is. Now, that set me on fire when I read it. But anyway, go back real quick. Look, turn over real quickly to Jeremiah chapter 6, and we'll go back there. Here's what God was saying. Jeremiah chapter 6, verse 16. Here's what he was saying to them. Thus says the Lord, stand in the ways and see and ask for the old paths where the good way is and walk in it. And you're going to find rest for your souls. But how did they respond? But they said, we will not walk in it. We're not going to walk that way. And he said, okay, I've also, I've sent watchmen over you saying, listen to the sound of the trumpet. Now, I don't know if you're going to agree with me. I'm just, this is not a thus saith the Lord. This is just in my heart. God sent a trump in the White House to speak to the nation. Many do not want to hear what that trump has to say. So what's he going to do next? He's going to send a trumpet into God's house. And the trumpet is going to sound. Now many will not want to hear what the trumpet has to say. But the trumpet's got to say it. And that's what we've been called. That's what you're called to do. And that's what I'm called to do. But they said, we will not listen. We will not listen. So that's exactly what happened over in Isaiah. Now, you can read the rest of it. All of it is really good. In fact, I was reading all of this stuff. It, all the way, it even goes to chapter 7. It's amazing how the Bible fits together. And in chapter 7, I'm just going to tell you what happens really quick. The prophets, you know, saying, you know, okay, you guys that stand in the gate of the Lord. You're standing in the, the doors of the house of the Lord in America. You're saying... You know, we're the people of God. We're the people of God. We're the people of God. He says it three times. He says, okay, all of that is fine and dandy. But he says, put away your iniquity. Put away your sin. Repent, in other words. It's not enough just to go to the house of God. You got to be the house of God. You got to let Jesus reign in your life. That's what he's saying in that scripture. You can go read it later on. It's an amazing text. I often wonder, why did you say it three times? We're the people of the Lord. We're the people of the Lord. We're the people of the Lord. It's because there will be a people that will claim they're my people. But they do not do what I say. 
And that's the difference in this hour. So go back now to Isaiah chapter 8. So anyway, back in verse 8. So what's he talking about? He says there's going to be a people. Now we've got to understand this principle because we're living in this hour. Say I'm living in 2020. Can't do anything about it. I mean, you could. You could check out. You would miss the most glorious days in all of history. You check out in this moment, you would not only be in rebellion against God, because he put you here. He put you here. He put America here. He put us here for such a time. And Emmanuel, what does that two things it mean? Number one, in the midst of the wrath, in the midst of the judgments, God is still in the midst. And secondly, he's with his people. And he's going to prove that he's with his people. Regardless of what's going on in the world, there's going to be a people that are going to carry the name, his name, in the earth. Does that make sense? Oh, Emmanuel. He's talking about what he's... Oh, he says, okay, you guys don't want what I... You don't want the peaceful river. I'm going to send you a raging river. But in the midst of it, I'm going to be Emmanuel. So in verse 9, this is not speaking to the people. This, uh, these are those who do not believe in him. He says, be shattered... Be broken, give ear, all you from far countries, give yourselves, or gird yourselves, but be broken in pieces, gird yourselves, but be broken in pieces, take counsel together, but it will come to nothing. That's what's happening right now. Whoever's in charge of the world system, taking counsel one with another, but it will come to nothing. Speak the word, but it will not stand. How come? Because God's word is what's going to ultimately stand, not the word of men. In fact, the next part of that in verse 10 says, for God is with us. Emmanuel. He's going to have a people that's going to be known as Emmanuel. That God is with us. Two rivers. And two different groups of people. Verse 11. So the Lord spoke thus to me with a strong hand and instructed me that I should not walk in the way of this people. You know what? That's what God is saying today. He's saying, don't walk. He's basically saying, choose ye this day whom you're going to serve. If Baal is God, then follow Baal. If God is God, follow him. I mean, if you know he's saying that. You're going to have to choose which way you're going to serve. Now, I know we want to be a United States, but how many of you know we're not going to be necessarily a United States anymore? Because Jesus said, I came to bring division." Not peace, but a sword. And there'll be those that are going to follow him, and there are going to be those that follow me, one or the other. They'll follow the Antichrist, or they'll follow the Lord Jesus Christ. How come you can't be in the middle? Because God's going to see to it. It's going to be so intense, you will not be able to walk the picket fence. You're going to have to choose. Either Jesus is king, or Satan is king. They may not call him Satan, but I promise you, he's their God. Jesus said, you were of your father, that they were those who were claiming to be of Abraham. He said, if you were of Abraham, you would do the deeds of your father. But because you are of your father, the devil, those deeds are what you're doing. And we'll know them by their, their deeds. So anyway, he goes on, he tells us, don't say it's a conspiracy. Verse 12, you'll have a lot of people saying, oh, it's all a conspiracy. Not a conspiracy, it's just the way things are playing out. People are either following the Antichrist or they're following the Lord Jesus Christ. One or the other. Don't be afraid of their threat. Say, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. You know what that, um, the word threats, 
Anybody know what it means? Look at it real quickly. Can you find the meaning of the word threat? Terror. Don't be afraid of their terror. Whatever. Nor be troubled. The Lord of hosts, him you shall hallow. Let him be your fear. In this hour, you know we've been hearing the fear of the Lord will come back to the house of the Lord. It will. And either you will fear what the devil is doing or you'll fear God. If you fear God, you don't even have to fear what the devil is doing. Because you'll have the fear of God and he'll be your, the one that you hallow, the one that you adore. And then he goes on. Let him be your dread. He will be as a sanctuary, but a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. It's going to be either one or the other. I hope you're seeing this because I'm going to try to wrap it up on some about six things. But he's either going to be a sanctuary or a stone of offense, a stumbling, one or the other, to both houses. Verse 16, bind up the testimony, seal the law among my disciples. And I will wait on the Lord who hides his face from the house of Jacob. Here I am, I, I and the children whom the Lord has given me were for signs and wonders. Can I just tell you, this generation is for signs and wonders. When the world is looking for answers, they're going to run to those who have them. And you and I are going to have what the world is desperately looking for. In fact, we have the only answer, and it is Jesus. It's all going to boil up. That's going to boil in him. It'll boil up and boil down in him. It's all in Jesus. And then he goes on, bind the testimony, the law, signs and wonders. Now look at this in verse 19. And when they say to you, seek those who are of mediums and wizards, who whisper and mutter, should not a people seek their God? Should they seek the dead on behalf of the living? Now if we really had a lot of time, basically what he's saying is, there's going to be a new age religion called Satanism. Don't follow that crowd. Choose ye this day. Follow the Lord. And how are you going to know the difference between those who are walking in some kind of a false gospel? How many of you know there's a false gospel versus the real? How are you going to know? Well, look in verse 20. Here it is. To the law and to the testimony. If they do not speak according to this word, it is because there's no light in them. So that's it. That's the test. If they come to you with their opinion... It might be true, it might not be true. But if they come to you with the word of God, then they've come to you with what is true and what will endure forever, regardless of what's happening. And then verse 21, and they'll pass through it hard, they'll press and they'll be hungry. And when they are hungry, they will be enraged and they will curse their king and their God. And they will look upward. And now that's really a sad state. That's the judgments of God unfolding. Then on verse 22, now it's going to get better. I'm going to just wrap it up with six things. Verse 7, then they will look to the earth and see trouble and darkness, gloom and anguish. And they will be driven into darkness. Amen. Now we could all go home. But don't stop there. Say don't stop there. Because there's a nevertheless that follows. Chapter 9, verse 1, what does it say? Nevertheless, okay, now see if we can pick this up. Okay, so God offered himself to a nation. Multitudes rejected and refused what he offered them. He says, okay, choose ye this day. You'll either, I'll either be your sanctuary or you're going to stumble in the days that are unfolding 
He's going to have two people. He tells the people of God, don't be afraid of their threats. Don't be troubled. You're going to be for signs and wonders to this other crowd. Not you, but the two crowds. You know what I'm talking about. Because you're going to carry the wonder of what God will do with the people who know him as Emmanuel. That God is with. It's going to be so obvious. Either God is with you or he's not. And in this hour, when God turns up the heat, you'll know the people that really did have faith in the living God. You know, Jesus said, when I return, will I really find faith on the earth? So it's obviously going to be an issue at the end of the age. He also said there will be those who endure to the end of the age. So that's obviously going to be an issue as well. But if you know the rest of the story, then you know that you can endure. So nevertheless... I'm almost finished. You guys with me? Does this make any sense? There's a whole lot more in Jeremiah. But there was one scripture I wanted to point out. Most of the church absolutely knows nothing anymore about the judgments of God. They've been told they don't exist. We need to know the judgments of God. You need to know what's happening, why it's happening. We need to know. In fact, Jeremiah is somewhere, I forget the scripture, but he talks about how the stork knows and the, all this stuff, but my people don't even know the judgments. You know why? The end of, it's been a subtle trick of the devil to put the church asleep. It's all been for the purpose of the great falling away. But I know a people that's not going to fall away because they're going to know the word of God. They're going to stand in that hour. They're going to know what God said. And they're going to know in whom they believed and in they trust. Anyway, nevertheless, say it again one more time, nevertheless. So when the day of all this stuff begins to break out, nevertheless, you can read this later, but in verse 1 and verse 2, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. So the first nevertheless is just a little bit of light will dispel the grossness of darkness. Got to remember that. Yes, the world is going to get dark, grossly dark. But it's at that hour that the glory of the Lord will fall upon the people of the Lord. And light is greater than darkness. How many of you are carriers of light? We really are. We're the, Jesus himself said, you're the light of the world. Don't hide your light under a bushel, under a bed. Can I just let you in on my own opinion? He's not going to let you hide your light under a bushel. He's going to come and talk. I don't know, the bed, whatever. He's going to turn it over somewhere. You're not even going to find a bushel or your bed. You're going to have to let your light shine. I'm not meaning that cruelly. God's not, he's not cruel. He's good. We are for signs and wonders. Say, I'm for a sign and a wonder. It's going to cause people to wonder who he is. And we're going to show them that he is Emmanuel, and he is the way. And I believe out of that will come a great harvest, but that's not in this text today. It could be. The second nevertheless, verse 6, nevertheless, when everything gets dark, nevertheless, a child was born and a son was given. Now, this sounds like a Christmas message. It's really not. It's a message for all of the ages, especially at the end of the age. Regardless of what the devil is doing, there's a son, there's a child, 
And our hope is in him. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That whosoever believeth in him should not perish. That is like our national anthem for the end of the age. John 3, 16. We're going back to where it all began. For God so loved the world. We can tell people that. That he sent his only son. There's a son. Nevertheless, I know what's happening over here. But nevertheless, a child was born and a son was given. And there's hope. And you can find life in him. And then the third nevertheless in verse 6. This child, this son, has been given a name that is wonderful. Counselor, mighty God. Now, you, we could go into all of that. But basically, he's everything you thought he was and much more. Words are not going to be able to express how good our God is in this day that we've just entered in. Because we're going to try to explain it. Hey, this is, this, is, this is the one that's wonderful. He's a great counselor. You need counsel. How many of you know a few people are going to need some counsel in these days? He's a great counselor. The Holy Spirit is your counselor. Well, I used to go down to the church, that building, what if it's not there? He, the Holy Spirit, is your counselor. He's an everlasting father. He's all these things. Mighty, prince of peace. You know, peace is really peace when you're living in the midst of war. Do I have to repeat that? You know how you're going to know if you have peace? When everything around you tells you you should not have peace. But you're going to say, what is this peace? Peace I give unto you. Not like the world is, but my peace I give unto you. How many of you know he will not take away that which he's given to you, the peace? There's going to be trouble. We already heard that. Jesus, you say, did Jay say that? No, Jesus said that. Jay's just saying what Jesus said. In this world you will have trouble. Nevertheless. Didn't he say nevertheless too? Nevertheless. I could have added that. Be of good cheer. All right, the fourth thing, because this is all out of this text in Isaiah chapter 9. Nevertheless, everything's turning upside down, but his government, his kingdom, what he is building will last forever. The increase of his peace and his government, which is upon his shoulder, shall last forever. So nevertheless, there's a government. Though the governments of men may be dissolved, the government of God will never be. And that's where we have to put our eyes upon. Thank God for the Constitution. As long as God's grace and mercy, I thank God we're going to stand and fight because he made us to be Americans. And I thank God for all of that. But I'm looking for a kingdom of which shall never end. All these other kingdoms are going to come and go, but not his. And then the fifth, nevertheless, is in verse 7. Just let me just read that. And of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end upon the throne of David and over his kingdom to order it and establish it with judgment and justice. So the next, nevertheless, is God's order. Not the new world order. I, I've been waiting to say that. God's order is ultimately what's going to be established on the earth. And his order is an order of judgment and justice, righteousness, mercy. I wish I could tell those people that are building what they call a new world order. Your new world order is going to come crumbling down, but God's order is going to remain. 
And his order is his kingdom in the midst of his people. Oh, man, this is good stuff. And then the last one. You guys almost ready to go. What kind of message is this? It's probably the kind, I think, we're going to need to preach in these hours. People are going to need to know what in the world's going on. What if, no, we already prayed, tomorrow's covered. I'm not even going there. I know what the devil really ultimately wants. You do too, don't you? Civil war, that's what he wants. I'd rather believe. I don't know. I may be one of those. I'm one that believes nevertheless. And the last one is nevertheless, regardless of the times, whatever is going on, he is Emmanuel. He's with his people. How long is he with his people? Even to the end of the age. Especially this age. So anyway, I'll just sum that up by saying the people of God need to know that he's a God of mercy and love and kindness and grace and all of that. He's, in fact, he's God of grace regardless. But there's the goodness of God. There's the severity of God. And there's coming a day that God is going to be no longer laughing. He's not going to laugh and wink at sin. He's going to answer. The wages of sin in the New Testament, the last time I read, is still death. But the gift of God is eternal life through his son Christ Jesus. So nevertheless, just a little light is greater than the deepest darkness. Nevertheless, a child was born and a son was given. Does that bring new light to that scripture? In the midst of darkness, chapter 8 is dark. It ends with gross darkness, and the people looked around, and they saw no hope, nevertheless. Number three, this child, this son, has been given a name that is wonderful, counselor, mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Nevertheless, his government, his kingdom, all that God is building will last forever and ever and ever and ever. Say, and ever. And ever. Nevertheless, God's order And his order alone will ultimately come to pass. His judgments and his justice, his justice, righteous judgments. And then lastly, nevertheless, regardless of what's going on, he is Emmanuel, God with us. Thank you, God. Thank you, Lord. Lord, thank you for this word. Thank you for letting me see things out of your word, wonderful things we see out of your word. Lord, thank you that men will come and go. The flesh withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. And so we thank you, Lord, that you're raising up voices across the land that will come forth in this hour. You are answering what I asked that day many years ago in New Orleans. Where are those that are coming with the thus saith the Lord? I thank you we're living now in that hour. And thank you, God, we get to be among them. But thank you, Lord, most of all, we are those that have ears to hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. And we're going to follow the Lamb wherever he goes. 
Thank you for the simplicity and devotion of what it means to follow Jesus Christ. And that you're returning us to that simplicity. In a world that's becoming more and more complex by the moment. We thank you that you chose us to live and to be the children who will be signs and wonders in the midst of this day. So, Lord, we thank you. I don't know how to wrap this up, but to say, Lord, I pray for an impartation of faith, an impartation of the strength and mercy and, and love of God. Lord, we are going to have to need a whole new level of love that we've never known before. So, Lord, we know that love is not of man, that love is of God. So we ask you to release that in us, deposit in us the love that will be required. Lord, thank you that we will overcome all in this hour because of the blood of Jesus, because of the word of our testimony and what they forgot to tell us. We will love our lives, not even unto death. And so we thank you that it's all coming back full circle. And I bless these people, Lord. I bless those watching. God, the church in America may be the most unprepared church for the times in all of biblical history, but I'm asking for grace that is beyond what we've ever known to be the most prepared people for what's coming on the earth, to be your people, to reflect your son in this hour. So I release that. I pray for grace. I pray fresh anointing, fresh unction upon the people of God, fresh fire. David's going to Virginia, so he's got fire all over him already, but I pray every one of us, God, fire, fire. God, Lord, we know how you have a way of interrupting the devil's plans. Would you start something in Virginia tomorrow that the devil wasn't looking for? Start a move of God in Virginia. Start a revival, God. Send the fire of God upon them. But not a fire that devours, a fire, yeah, a consuming fire that devours your adversaries, but displays your glory. And then in this impeachment trial, God, just make a public spectacle of the devil. Cause that which he's intended for evil to be used for good in the nation. Thank you, no weapon fashioned against our president will prosper. And as a people of God, you said, no weapon fashioned against shall prosper, but every tongue that rises in judgment, we shall condemn. And this is the heritage of the saints. Okay, so God, you said it's, a, it's our heritage, so we, we take that honor. And we ask you, God, let every tongue, let it be proven wrong. Fulfill that scripture, Lord. We declare it, believe it. We, we can only declare the words of the Lord. That's what you said. So we thank you, God. Thank you. Thank you for these precious people. Thank you that we feel like family. We are. Family of God, this is the best day. Oh, I hope you can see my heart. You know, you're going to have to tell it like it is. You guys are going to have to tell it like it is too, wherever you go, wherever you live. You just got to tell people. 
But you end well. The cross is the ultimate answer. So we thank you. The only way, it's the only hope. Hallelujah. Anybody need Jesus here this morning? We need to pray. Need to have baptisms. Anybody want to be baptized? You get to come. We have, every, we have all the clothing. And this could be a day. It's a place where God, it's like where people are being launched into their purpose for the hour. That's what I literally believe is happening. And among other things, they're dying to things and such as that. How many of you know death is a good thing? You know what dying to yourself will do? It'll kill you. Hey, think about it. That's what Jesus said, go die to yourself. Lord, that'll kill me. I think that's the plan. So that you'll live. Well, I've gone on way too long probably. So anybody need Jesus in this room? Raise your hands. I don't know if I know him, but I want to know Jesus. God's convicting me. The Holy Spirit is convicting. If it hadn't happened yet, I'm telling you, there's coming a day the conviction is going to be so strong. People are going to fall on their faces, and they're going to crawl again to the altars all over the nation. People are going to crawl to the altars. Some of them won't happen in church buildings. Some of them will be found in barns and stables. But good things are born in stables. But maybe someone's watching. So, Lord, we just, let's just pray. Father, say, Jesus, I need you. I believe you're the Son of God, that you died and rose from the dead. I confess I'm a sinner. I ask you to forgive me and cleanse me. Come into my heart. Be my Lord and Savior. From this moment on, I repent of my sin. I turn from the world. I turn to you. I will follow you. Fill me with the Holy Spirit. Fill me with the fire of God. Let me be a sign and a wonder in this hour that reflects your glory, your nature, that Jesus might be made known and that he would receive the reward of his suffering in this nation and in the nations of the earth. In Jesus' name.